Time to Travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting to Heidi Garbidi, event coordinator for the Gatsby National Polo Event, which will be taking place at the Shongweni Polo Club on the 14th of June. Kirby Gordon is Vice President for Marketing for Fly Saf Air, and he'll be chatting to me about how this airline has revolutionized the domestic market and is expanding the consumer's choice for short-haul air transportation at the lowest possible costs. PJ Yankee will be in studio with me and we'll be chatting, and I promised you this a couple of weeks ago that I was going to get this on, and it's here tonight. What is it? The super cool beer tour. And then our intrepid traveller, Graham Howell, will be back with us this evening. And he's recently returned from a trip to the wild Atlantic Way in Ireland. So he'll be telling us all about that. There's some documents on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. And also email me at travel at safm.co.za. I've managed to get hold of a lot more of those 10 things to do and 20 things to do things for all over the place for Josie and Durban and Polakwani. I'll be putting those up shortly but what I do have is you know Monday this coming Monday is the deadline or it's D-Day if you like for this whole story about the unabridged birth certificate. Now there have has been some official documentation that has been released on that so if you would like that it also have I've got a lot of frequently asked questions so if you had any questions about that, I've got all of that. I've also got the official information. So if you want that, just drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za and I'll send you that. So then you've got all of it at your fingertips. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. The SABC has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that's fair, and programming that is not harmful, does not amount to hate speech or violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. That's the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. Send a fax to 011-326-3198 or an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za. For more information, please visit bccsa. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, fashion and polo lovers around South Africa will be delighted that the Gatsby National Polo Event will shortly be hosted in Durban Hillcrest at the esteemed Shongweni Polo Club, and that's happening on the 14th of June. Well, to tell us more, I'm joined on the line now by event organizer Heidi Garbidi. Heidi, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, how are you doing? I'm very well. This is rather an exciting event. It sounds terribly posh and smart and just fabulous. Yes, it's absolutely amazing. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, like completely different to any of the other polo themes that have ever been around. Um, it's a great Gatsby um, polo event. And we're hosting it on the 14th of June um, at the Shanguini Polo Club. There will be um, there will be a marching band, sort of with all, like bringing in all twenty four horses. And like each team has got twenty four horses, um, so times four. It's a national a national game. Um, there's Western Province playing Gauteng, um, and then also um, Durban sort of or um, KZN playing the Free State. We've got um, yeah, so we've got a whole marching band. They're going to be um, yeah 
48 horses, like in each team, they will all be parading up. And then we um having a fashion show during, during the two breaks. We're having a vintage car show, so there will be loads of vintage cars displayed. I think we've got almost... Um, 70 different vintage cars over there. Um, so it's going to be an exciting event. There's like a whole market section for jewelry and clothing and, um, everyone should dress up for the day. And we have got, um, yeah, and, and then we've got a closing party with DJs, uh, DJs like the top driven DJs and, uh, yeah, and the band as well. Now this sounds like it's going to be one of those marvelous days. I can just imagine everybody dressed up in sort of the great Gatsby look. It's going to be fabulous. But the point about this whole thing, Heidi, is that it's a party with a purpose. Yes, it's a party with a purpose. It all goes to furthering education and tra- training. Um, so we're basically donating one percent, one percent to the further, like to furthering education and training. Um, more for the underprivileged, like to put them into the corporate market. Um, we're looking more for probably like the farm, farm children, like farm children, and um, that normally at this time around for the farm children that normally don't have those opportunities. Um, so that they sort of can get into the banks or can get into like the corporate market and be sponsoring a course um, towards towards them. Now the day itself starts at ten thirty. Yes, it's, it's actually starts at ten o'clock with the polar parade and the official game starts at ten thirty. The first one. Um, and then sort of there's a break in between, between where we're having a fashion show for an hour and a vintage car show. Um, there, there will be also photo booth for anyone that wants to do, do like take photos. We've got a, um, we've got a champagne bar, bar, like an open champagne bar. Peroni is sponsoring like a VIP tent. There's Tanqueray, um, the gin, because obviously the whole Gatsby scene is gin. They're sponsoring a whole, um, they're sponsoring another VIP tent as well. Well, so, um, they're going to be loads, loads of different things to do. There's even for kiddies, like if parents want to come down for the day with the crash day, they can sort of drop their kids off. Of I think for 30, 30 rand for the whole day, and the kids can come and go as they need. Their pony pony rides, so there will be quite a lot to do um, for everyone, for families as well as obviously for the corporates to dine and wine, wine everyone, and then watch some polo, polo, and polo. And for the general public, it's actually quite a reasonable. I think it's fifty rand per person for general access, but then you can also purchase a picnic table or corporate client table you can buy one of those so there's a lot of different options but as a member of the public if you just want to come along is that just 50 rand Yes, it's only 50 rand because the thing is we've realized in case at the end the Polo Association wants to sort of get everyone more involved in the Polo. So it's like a fun day out for, for the Polo. So it's only 50 rand. Um, if you pre-book your tickets um, on web tickets and they get to be Polo, um, otherwise um, on the day it will be 100 rand. So I'd like advice to all sort of book your tickets beforehand. Um, and then, yes, yes, that's... That's basically that's basically it on the ticket side, you know. We have got picnic tables that we're selling, like for the people of ten. So you you've got an umbrella, you've got everything else. Um, there are 
there are also the like normal seats and everything for for people to sit down. Sit down. Um, but we we sort of are preparing a whole picnic table with like the different cheeses and meats and olives and mm. um, whatever whatever else. So they can just come in with a couple of bottles of wine that goes for the picnic one. And if you want to be one of the really larny ones and want to meet the who's and who's who's the media table, the, all the polo players, then you have to come to the VIP tent. In the VIP tent. Um, there will be a lot of corporates, a lot of MDs from different sort of company, companies that you will be able to meet there and um, network and socialize. But this table costs um, 7,500 rand for 10 people, or you can just come as a, as a couple, 4,500 rand, or as an individual as well. And Heidi, all that information about the, the day is, going to, is on your website, nationalpolo.co.za? Yes, it's all on our website. You can find all of them. The prices of the the prices aren't on there, but there is a flyer on there. For flyer on there, and also if you follow us on our Facebook page, you will know all the things that we've got got on there. Like every day, we sort of present different updates on there. Um, so yes, yes, you will find like a whole lot of information on there. And also, I believe if the best dressed glamorous Gatsby guest we might just win a prize. Yes, yes, the best winter prize. We've got like a couple of Magnum bottles that um, were sponsored sponsor to us by Morrison. So you will definitely, um, yes, yeah, yeah, like they will, they will win either a Magnum bottle and then like a small gift voucher as well. We've also got makeup touch-up station by Red Square um, and perfumes and so on. So you can sort of, if you feel like, oh, my, like, like I just want to touch up my makeup for all the ladies, there will be different touch-up stations that you can sort of try, try out. Um, so, so there's something for everyone and anyone. Sounds like an amazing day. Heidi, thank you so much for joining me on the show this evening and telling us about it and hopefully it'll be a fantastically successful event thank you for your time thanks yes thank you and we hope you'll all see you at the gatsby polo and come just up <laughs> sounds amazing heidi gobardi is the event organizer for the gatsby national polo event it's taking place at the shangweni polo club on the 14th of june and for more information about the event you can take a look at the website it's nationalpolo.co.za and as heidi says she recommends if you're wanting to go It'll be cheaper for you to book your tickets via webtickets.co.za. Just go to Gatsby Polo and you'll be able to find it on there and book your ticket. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, low-cost airlines have come and gone in South Africa, but few of them seem to survive. And if they do, they don't remain low-cost. Well, six months into operations and having reduced prices on many domestic routes by up to 39%, FlySaf Air attributes its success to its unique low-cost business model. Well, to tell us more, it sounds rather exciting. I'm joined now by Kirby Gordon, and he's Vice President for Marketing at FlySaf Air. Kirby, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you so much. Well, this has been an amazing success story in just six months. It absolutely has. Um, I think it's been a fantastic ride on foray into the market. Um, we actually just recently celebrated having carried over 400,000 passengers in this short period. So we're very chuffed with that. That's incredible. And I mentioned there that you've managed to reduce the prices on many of the domestic routes by up to 39%. I mean, that's quite remarkable. Yes, no, it is. So that was a statistic that was pulled out of uh, an independent study done by Travelstart.co.za, mm. who are partners of ours. Um, and Travelstart took a, a kind of comparative look at the market. And what they discovered is that on some of the routes that we operate, the prices had gone down by as much as 39%. And, and what's really encouraging is that that was matched by an increase of demand by about 132%. 
So not only are um, prices going down, but what we're seeing is that more and more people are actually traveling as well, which is really exciting for all of us. Well, I was reading some information. It literally made my eyes pop out. It said last year, a flight between Johannesburg and George sold for as much as 2,213 rand one way. And since FlySaf Air's inception, tickets are now available from as little as 499 rand. But here's the best part, including taxes. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. So that's, that, that was the, those are the base fares that we've come in at, 499, Cape Town, Johannesburg, um, some of the other longer legs, and then some of the shorter legs, such as a, a Cape Town, George, you can actually get from 399, uh, which is very exciting. And, and yeah, we've seen, we've seen that that is, is the reality that's kind of stretched across most of the domestic markets. Um, again, referring back to that Travel Star study, um, they, they found that on some of the routes that we hadn't started operating yet, they had actually climbed by just under about 10%. But, um, you know, we've got our eyes set on them, so they'll, it'll all be done in due course. I like those two little words, including taxes, because often you'll see a price, you'll think, oh, that doesn't look too bad. And then in very, very, very small print underneath, it says, oh, but there's still another sort of two, 3,000 rand for airport taxes and this tax and that tax. And you think, well, it's not looking so good now. Right. So, I mean, that is a tricky thing that one has to be careful of. But the truth be told, in Africa, it's legislated that when we, um, when we advertise a fare, we need to advertise it, including the taxes, mm. so that there are, no, there are no hidden agendas in that regard. The one thing, though, that I have to just be very clear about that we have done, and it was a bit of a market first when we launched it, is that we've unbundled your check-in baggage. Um, so what that means is that every other air ticket that you're likely to purchase on the market at the moment would come with a free suitcase, if you want to see it that way, um, which, would, which you would then be able to take into the, into the hold of the aircraft. Now, we've taken that out and given people the option of bringing a suitcase should they choose to, and if they choose to do so, obviously paying for that suitcase. And what's really encouraging for us, anyway, is that the market's responded well to it in that less than half of our travelers actually take a suitcase along with them. So if you, for example, were booking a basic fare between Cape Town and Johannesburg, that would get you back 499 including the taxes. If you wanted to take a suitcase along, that would cost you an extra 150 rand. But as I say, what's been really insightful is that, you know, most of our travelers are either doing day trips or, or perhaps uh, just traveling light, and, and they don't actually take that bag. So, you know, our view is if, if what's true for us has been true for airlines historically, then that means that you know, travellers have been paying for suitcases that they haven't been taking the whole time, um, and, and they needn't. Because, I mean, I, when I, if I travel, I do try. It's not always easy, but I do try and just get away with hand luggage. Absolutely, <laughs> myself included. I mean, it really does make your, your kind of uh, ability to get through the airport yes. that much quicker and easier. I mean, it's a fantastic way to travel if you can get away with it. But that's the other thing. I mean, you, your pricing is very flexible. I mean, so you've got a lot of other things other than the suitcase things. Tell me what else are optional extras if people want to have them added on. So, I mean, that's exactly it. And that's the best practice internationally is to try and build a, a really basic fare and then offer sort of a menu of options that people can then use to upgrade their travel experience from there on out. So you kind of make it accessible at a base point and then you allow for people to share their journey beyond that. So um, I've mentioned uh, taking on, on cabin baggage. Obviously, we also accommodate sports equipment if you were looking to travel with golf clubs or, you know, bicycles or um, people travel with all kinds of things. Um, we also then have an option if you are a not at all a light packer and you need to take two check-in suitcases, you can buy a second suitcase. Uh, we also offer SMS notifications um, and travel insurance on top of that as well. 
And then you can also choose um, to, to uh, opt for priority seating or pre-selected seating. So that carries a small charge as well, um, which you can book online as part of the process. And then above and beyond that, we actually have a, a preferential rate partnership with First Car Rental, um, which is a fantastic car rental agency. And so you can actually book your car as, at the same time that you're booking your, your flights online with us. And, and as I say, they, they really do offer the best in the biz when it comes to, to car rental rates as well. Now, I, I imagine up until this point, people have been paying, haven't been paying extra for any of these things, but it's been worked into the fare some, somewhere along the line. I quite like the idea of deciding what I want to pay for. Absolutely. I mean, the market's responded really positively to it. I think at first, you know, because it is a, a, a new offering and a new way of doing things, we've had to be very cautious about the way that we treat it in terms of how customers experience our website and check out to make sure that it is evident to them the whole way along the line that, you know, these things are extras, that they are set out aside, um, and that they work with that base fair in that way. But, you know, the response has actually been overwhelmingly positive with regard to it, and, and exactly to your point, with people really appreciating the opportunity to choose what they need. Yes, I mean, we can actually decide, well, I can afford this and I can afford that. So, okay, so maybe I won't have X, Y, and Z. I can do quite happily do without that, but I've still got the good price on the ticket. You know, so it's Absolutely. really at your own personal choice and you can decide how much you actually want to spend in the end. And people have found interesting ways of, of, using, of, of using these extras as well. You know, you might find oftentimes um, a couple or a small family might go away and instead of, you know, packing a suitcase each, they might say, well, listen, you know, let's, let's double up and, and we'll just take two bags with us or whatever the case is mm. and we'll one between the two of us and, and kind of save on that regard too. Now, I have to ask you, because I love the sound of this, extra space seats. What is that, Kirby? Do tell me. <laughs> yes. Well, it literally <laughs> is just that. I mean, obviously, in the configuration of, of, of all aircraft, there generally happen to be the emergency exit rows oh, that, that are you, available. That extra and those, space? of course, okay. come with a nice little bit of roomy leg mm. space. So, so those are available um, as extra space seats. Of course, you do need to... Um, to be capable and willing of, of actually assisting passengers in an emergency, which is standard mm. aviation protocol. But we make those uh, pre-selectable to those who wish to, to, to choose them. So you can actually pre-select those before you get to the airport? Absolutely. So you pay, you pay a preferential charge to select a, a, an extra legroom seat, um, and then that's yours. Because normally with those extra space or the, the exit row seats, they won't – I've experienced this before with my son who's always wanting to book that seat when he flies, and they won't allow us to book it until he gets to the airport because they want to see if he is suitable to open the door, if he needs to open the door. But, I mean, this, he, this son of mine is six foot seven. He's, a, he's <laughs> not a small boy. And when they take one, look, oh, no, sure, you can, you can have the exit row seat. But they won't let, let us do it before he gets to the airport. Yeah, absolutely. He sounds more than capable. Well, yes. Look, to be honest, <laughs> it, has, um, it, is, it is a declaration that we make uh, passengers on, on the site um, to adhere to, to say, listen, we are, you know, I am capable and willing of being able to perform that, that procedure should, should it need to happen. But, of course, then there is an element of a judgment call that does need to take mm. place with regard to the crew on the actual flight deck at the time. So they are very careful with regard to that. And, of course, if someone, you know, has taken on that seat and, and, and unwillingly so, we obviously just do a full and immediate refund against that yeah. um, if they're asked to move somewhere else. You know, on, on very odd occasions, it does happen, and it very seldomly um, affects the, 
the emergency seating, but one obviously has to be careful, especially if a plane's not 100% full, how you balance the aircraft for the weight and trim before it takes off. Mm. And that can sometimes mean moving passengers around somewhat, which people are generally quite flexible to once, you know, they understand the, the nature of those kinds of requirements, which is like your, your way to air hostesses say or stewards say in the beginning of a flight, you know, please remain in the seat which you've been allocated. And, and that's why there's actually a sort of an engineering reason behind that. So, but these things are really not at all frequent occurrences. It's not just you guys trying to be funny. You know, it's, it's a reason. It's a good, decent reason no, why you would do it. Yeah, no. Safety first always, you know, that's, that's imperative. The other thing I was very impressed about, Kirby, was that your overall year-to-date performance of on-timeness, if there's such a word, 95%. Yes, and actually climbing since, since then. I think we've just hit the 96% mark, which is, which is something that we're particularly proud of. You know, it's an interesting thing because I don't know that, that airlines necessarily talk about it so much. And look, we concede that it's one of those things that you have to own when it's good. You know, you, you love to own when it's good and you have to own when it's not that good as well because unfortunately life does happen in between. But we've been, we've been very strict and very thorough with, um, with our teams and with our processes to make sure that we do turn our aircraft around as fast as possible. And in fact, we actually turned them around in 25 minutes, which is quite incredible if you think that from the time one lands to the time that you actually push back to do your next takeoff is, is 25 minutes. Wow. It's, it's an industry first, and so that's not internationally, but certainly here. Um, and yet, despite that, we've still managed to maintain the best on-time performance of all domestic airlines here today in South Africa out of both Cape Town and Johannesburg. What aircraft are you flying, Kirby? We fly a Boeing 737-400. Okay. Nice yeah. plans. Right. So tell me about the routes. We haven't got to the routes yet. I need to know where ah. you go. <laughs> well, it's exciting. The, the exciting news is there. So we, uh, presently, we, we fly between Cape Town, Johannesburg, George, and Port Elizabeth. But um, I'm afraid I can't spill too many beans, but we are looking at extending our route. Um, and in fact, we've actually gone out to the public and asked if, uh, if, if they might guide us slightly in terms of where we should be flying to next. So if people are to visit either our homepage or our Facebook page, you'll see that we've set up a little voting booth with a couple of other prospective routes that we're asking um, prospective passengers and current passengers to, to guide us on as to where we should go next, which is very exciting. Gosh, so there will be, so you said at the, at the moment it's Cape Town, Johannesburg, George and Port Elizabeth. That's and it's coming, we, you can't tell us yet, but it could be somewhere rather nice next time. We'll have to wait it's, and see. It, it, well, we think everywhere in South Africa is very nice, but yes, it's spreading <laughs> <great. laughs> our wings. So. As I mentioned right at the very beginning, you know, low-cost airlines have got a sort of a reputation where they're here one minute and gone the next. And all you seem to have done in the last six months since you started was just get better. Yeah, I mean, look, it is a reality that we've had to face. And even from a, from a customer acquisition perspective, you know, be quite frank about the conversation that exists there because I think South Africans have had a, the, the misfortune of, of having their fingers burnt in that regard. Mm. And, and I think people are skeptical, and understandably so, you know. Um, we, we're all consumers at the end of the day, too. But the truth of the matter is, yeah, we've, we've been growing from strength to strength. Um, and what we're backed up by, which I think few people realize, is a company called Staff Air, which this year actually just happens to be celebrating its 50th year in aviation in South Africa. So Staff Air has traditionally been a, a cargo and specialized air services business. But these boys have been flying for a very long time in all kinds of places. And that's the solid backing that we have behind our, you know, new commercial airline. So 
whilst we're we, we like to refer to ourselves as the oldest new kid on the block. So we're, we're, we're you know we're new we're new in the passenger aviation services section, but we're not at all you know new at flying airplanes. I just love the whole concept. You know that I've got all this choice. I like to choose my own stuff. You know I like to be in charge. I know it's a bit of a problem, but yeah, I do, and I like to decide what I'm doing. And I just think this is fabulous, and you can actually decide how much you want to spend on your flight. And it's your, it's your call, basically. Do you want to take two bags, one bag, no bag? You know, do you want to eat something on the plane? Do you want to sit in the exit row? It's all your call. And then you can just pay for whatever you want. I love that. Yes, I mean, thank, yeah, thanks. I mean, we, we, it has been a tricky decision, you know, to come to the market with that because it's always, it's always hard when you change the way things that are done slightly because people do need to, to learn along with you as you offer it. But, but like I said, the, the response has been, you know, very, very, positive from from all of those that have enjoyed the services and, and, and kind of had exactly the response that you're having, which is which is wonderful, you know. Hopefully we're doing the right thing there. Well I hope in sort of another year or so, Kirby, we can chat again. You can just tell me how much more fabulous you guys have got. And um, I'm fully expecting that. Yeah, I'll look forward to chatting with you in the future. But thank you so much for this evening coming on and telling us about this because I don't think too many people knew quite what they could expect from Fly Air. And I think you've explained it all very well. So hopefully you'll have loads more customers from now on. Thank you for your time this evening. I do hope so. Yeah, and if I, if I can just take one short moment to let people know um, how to book tickets, mm. the easiest way is to visit our site at www.flysafair.co.za. You can book tickets right there and then. Payment can be made via credit card yeah, or EFT, or we've just recently launched a new a new option, which we're very excited about, whereby you can book your flight online on our website and then actually go and pay at your local pick and pay. Oh, well, Any gosh. Pay anywhere in the country. <laughs> what are you going to do next? I mean, this is amazing. Okay, well, that, that's a whole new one. I've never heard of that before, but okay. Kirby, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having Speak me. Speak to you soon. Thanks for your time. Good night to you. Yes, bye. Bye-bye. Kirby Gordon is Vice President for Marketing at FlySaf Air. It sounds like an amazing new concept. I'm actually quite excited about it. Well, for more information, you can take a look at the website. It's www.flysafair.co.za. Making South Africa the country that it is today is all in a day's work. SAFM, we're proud to be a nation built by the hands of workers. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, now for something completely different. We've come down out of the air now, and this is something that I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that I was hoping to get, and it's here now. If you're looking to see Cape Town in a whole new light, why not consider hopping on the super cool beer tour? The expedition isn't just on brew in general, but on Cape Town's unusual handcrafted beers, stouts, and lagers. And tourists can enjoy an overview of the city's sightseeing spots too. And while these might be old hat for locals, even residents like me are guaranteed to get some joy out of the excursions off the beaten track approach. Well, to tell us more, I'm joined in studio now by PJ Yankee. PJ, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. This is, I think this is the most amazing thing. So tell us a little bit about how this all started and where you go, because you go to some really off the beaten track places on this tour. Yes, we do. Uh, Super Cool Beer Tours was started by our founder, Lawrence, and uh, his passion for beer. And it's unusual because Cape Town is noted for wine tours or wine tasting and not beer tours. And we sort of forget that beer was actually brewed here before wine. Well, yes, I think it was. Yes, so beer was done here long before wine. And uh, Lawrence put a package together to take people. So we go to a macro brewer and then to true craft brewers. And we take people around so they can see the difference between the large commercial producer and the small uh, one, two-man business. Those are the ones I'm quite interested in, the little one, two, one-man business things. I mean, because that's all, it's in some unusual places and it's real craft beer. 
Yes, so the the we st we start off in in the Salt River area. So can I mention names? Yes, please yes, do. So, go ahead. So we go to Devil's Peak Brewery, uh, very nicely in our operation. Uh, they sort of a, a little bit of a bigger brewer than the other smaller guys. Uh, there's 50 craft brewers in Cape Town. Wow, uh, I didn't realize there were 50, 50 of them. Yes, Gosh. 50 craft brewers. And, and Devil's Peak does. They do about 40, 45,000 liters of beer a month. Then we go to Wright Factory, run by two men. And where's that? Mark, where's that's in uh, Woodstock. Okay. And they very small, very niche. They do about 2,500 liters a month. And they're very passionate about the beer, like all craft uh, brewers. They're all very passionate about the beer and very proud. And they're quite happy with their little brewery, and they want to make beer the way it should be made. So that's the advantage of going to a craft brewer. And they don't want to produce a like of the commercial brewer. Mm. They want to produce their passion, they, the way they feel like they're making it. Their little own adds to the beer. You know, so they, each you, each brewery you go to, you'll get a different feel depending on the brewer, you know, how he wants and what he wants to add into the brew. Then we also go uh, to Stellenbosch, Stellenbrew. They've got a very nice setup there as well. And CBC in uh, Spice Root. Oh, right, in Paul. In Paul. Mm. So it, it, it depends on the day, what's happening at each, and then we ch choose three and we go to three. And you also go to the big one, which is SAB. We, we go to the big one, SA Brewery. So we, not to forget, it's the second largest brewer in the world. Really? SAB Miller, yes, second largest brewer in the world. They own over 200 breweries across the globe. Mm. So they, they're quite, we're quite proud of the South African company that's second largest in the world. Uh, we tend to forget these things. You know, we've got quite a lot to be proud of in this country. Oh, we've got lots to be proud of. I talk about it a lot on my shows. Very proudly South African yes. here. Now, the other thing that you do on this tour as well, PJ, is that you do some of these pairings, if you like, with beer and little bits of nice, tasty bits yes, of food. Tell me about uh, that. That <clears throat> happens. Uh, we do a food and uh, beer pairing at mm. Devil's Peak. And it uh, consists of five of the beers. And they sort of have the different meals that would go with the beer. So they have one that goes with fish, with uh, meat, with the vegetarian or the cracker. And it's a very nice pairing. Recommend it to anybody. Just have it. Uh, you sort of have the difference. You know, people say you can't taste the difference in beer, but when people speak to you and tell you the taste and how to do it, it, it's, it opens up some people, uh, even people that have been drinking beer for years. It gives them a different perspective. And especially when you go and see how it's made compared to just getting it off the fridge or supermarket mm. shelf and opening and drinking. And, and these small brewers really have their passion, you know. And, in it. Well, I had the, how I found out about this was I had some f old friends that came, they were South Africans living now in New Zealand, and they were coming back on holiday, and they said to me, what's new in Cape Town? And I sort of looked around, and I found this, and I said, go and do this. Well, they went and did this. They haven't stopped talking about it. They're back in New Zealand now, and they're still talking about this tour. They said it was one of the most fabulous things that they'd done. Yeah. Uh, lots of uh, people that come to us come through referrals, and people that have been on the tour love it, love the craft uh, beer. And it's something that is not going to get back home. You know, our craft industry is small. They're supplying locally. Uh, people from Netherlands, USA, Australia, New Zealand, they're not going to get this beer there. How uh, many people do you take on a tour? We do anything from one uh, private. Oh, wow, okay. Private tour, and we take groups up to 16 was the largest. We got 20 inquiry for 22. But we try to keep it at that size because the small brewers cannot cater for larger volumes than that. So at, at Devil's Peak and at Wright Factory, uh, and at, uh, I don't want to leave out anybody, <laughs> also at Stellenbrew, we take, you walk through the plant so you can see how it's made. Oh, right, okay. So we will take you, walk through, show you the kettles, where the boiling happens, uh, you know, add in the malt, boil, so it's boiled at high temperature, 
then it's cooled, the maturing and the fermentation process and the bottling. And people are surprised that the bottles are hand bottled. Yeah, we don't have conveyor belts. Oh, really? I didn't know conveyor, that. And it's single bottle at a time. That is. Oh my goodness! So it's actually quite. People are very impressed with that. They love it. So it really is the hands-on approach really to making beer. And, wow! And this is people involved personally. It's not somebody sitting in a corporate office, pushing a button pushing or something. A button or something. This is really hands-on stuff. Gosh, so it really does take passion to do this. It really is. It's passion. I don't think the guys make a lot of money. No, I think I'm it's sure. a lot of their passion in it. And you know, the market is controlled by the bigger players. Mm. And like in all industry. So it's no different in the beer industry. But the nice thing about this, as you mentioned, you go out to Stellenbosch, to Paul, so people get to see more than just a brewery. They're getting to see a bit of Cape Town as, of Cape oh, Town. as well. And we give them a bit of information as we're driving past. You know, Woodstock is a very vibrant, mm. up and coming. People forget it's the second oldest suburb in, in Cape Town. You know, we forget those things. We drive past the old windmill as you go past towards uh, the university. It's a working windmill. Yes. You know, people, very few people, even living in Cape Town, it's actually a working windmill. I think it's the only working windmill in the country left. Mm. You know, so, so we've got this little small things that people uh, appreciate and we give them some information. Coming back, we come past where Nelson Mandela gave his first speech and Darling Street and... People, wow, we thought it was a lot higher. Mm. And they don't realize it's just a couple of stairs up in the balcony that he gave the speech. Yeah, at the city hall. So it's city hall, mm. yeah. Gosh, so there's a, whole, there's a lot more to this tour than just beer. A lot more to it than just beer. You know, we give, but depends where we go and what we speak to. And when it's a smaller group, then, you know, they also, if they want to stop and do something else, we also, it's not fixed. Oh, wow, okay. You know, so... So very accommodating. We're very accommodating. So what? when does this actually take place? It's a half-day tour, isn't it? It's a half-day. Okay. It's, it's a packed half-day. It sounds like it. I'm <laughs> exhausted just listening to you. <laughs> we pick up at uh, between 12 and 12.30, and then we go out. A again, the breweries depend on... So it's the, on an afternoon tour. And the afternoon okay. tour, and it depends what's happening out in the brewery. And it's, uh, unfortunately, Sundays, some are closed, so we don't do a Sunday tour. So is it Monday to Saturday? It's Monday to Saturday. Okay, and then you know, what tickets and how do we book and all that sort so of thing? So it's booked online. Okay. Our website. Okay, what is your website? Uh, Supercoolbeertour.co.za. Oh, that's very, I'll, I'll get and that. And there's a okay. booking form on there. Uh, send a booking form in or there's a phone number that you can call. And uh, we're very accommodating. You know, we'll have a look and see what we can do to fit your timetable. And and we're looking, it's it's packed. And we may be looking at making it a day tour because it's just so much to do. Uh, it sounds like it. I think, gosh, how can you get out to Paul and Stellenbosch and all that in half a day? Yeah, we do. It's, it's I mean, you really pick them up at 12 or <laughs> half past 12, you're getting us back, what, at midnight? You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> really long. And how far in advance do we need to book? Uh, bookings is a couple of days in advance. Oh, you know, it just days. depends. Availability. When you book, we let you know availability. We have space. We don't have space. We'll offer you an alternate date. And, and it's very custom. So, you know, it's, it's not we don't have 20 people doing this. It's very controlled mm. and uh, organized. And cost-wise? It's 495 rand per person. Mm -hmm. And that includes? That includes everything. So we pick you up, we drop you off in Cape Town CBD, includes all the tasting fees, the pairing fees, it's all included. So basically so you pay that and that's it until you no get back. There is no surprise cost. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's actually rather nice because uh, we get to this place. Or, oh, you know, you have to pay to taste the beer. Um, okay, I didn't bring my wallet. It's a bit of a problem. So at least you know when you get on the bus, mm -hmm. everything, is, everything. everything is already included. Yeah. And you consume about one and a half or just over one and a half litres of beer during the tour. 
Right. We shouldn't be getting in a car then after that. No, no. No, we should be dropped off at a hotel or at your house at your or some house, yes. get someone to fetch you. Do not drink and drive. Yes. That's one of the most important things. So right. That's why we pick up and drop off. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a super cool beer tour.co.za. And the phone number, PJ? 082-922-3322. Okay, and they'll reach you on that number. Yes. Okay, and then they can just book. Yeah. And you said anything from one to maximum of what, 16, About 20? 16 to 20 people. Okay, that'll be the most. Otherwise, it gets too crowded. Otherwise, it gets too crowded. The small brewers don't have enough. The tap rooms are not big enough for. Well, this is a very people. different way to see Cape Town, and with some uh, enjoyable things, stops off at breweries and all sorts of other interesting things in the in in the process. Mm. Sounds amazing. I'm so glad we could get you onto the show this evening. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you very much. I was chatting there with PJ Yankee of the Super Cool Beer Tour. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Well, if you'd like to find out more, you can call PJ on 082. Nine double two double three double two, and if you'd like to do the tour, you could need to book at least one day in advance, and you can have a look at the website. It's supercoolbeertour.co.za, and the booking form is on the the website, on PJ, the website, yes. and so you can do that all via the website, supercoolbeertour.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. Graham Howe is back with us again this evening. Gosh, she really does seem to get all over the place. The last time we spoke to him, he'd just come back from Los Angeles. And now he's gone to one of my bucket list places, to Ireland. And he went to go and explore the wild Atlantic Way. Graham, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Car. It's good to be here. Right, the wild Atlantic Way. This is one of your favorite destinations, Ireland, isn't it? It is. I think I've paid something like eight or nine visits um, to Ireland over the years. I'm always delighted to be back there. Uh, and it's amazing because it's such a small island comparatively, such a small country. And yet it's just got so much to see. I think the new Wild Atlantic Way, it's one of the uh, longest um, signposted uh, road routes uh, in, in, the, uh, in the world. It's about two and a half thousand kilometers long and it runs down the west coast of, of Ireland. It was launched last year. The whole concept was to kind of link up all of these scenic byways and the kind of off the beaten track destinations with all the key tourist attractions. And it's not that... They expect, I think, um, the tourists to do it in sort of, or a visitor to Ireland to do it in, in all in one go. It's more a way of focusing your particular points of interest, be it Celtic history and culture, or traditional Irish music, or, or grand country homes, landscapes. You know, you can walk, you can cycle, you can drive it. And it has this, they've put up apparently some, something like 3,800 signs, and it's three waves wild Atlantic way and it runs down the west coast of Ireland from Malin Head up in County Donegal which is the northernmost point in Ireland all around and then down around the southern part of Ireland into the very pretty seaside port of Kinsale which is also the sort of gourmet capital of, of, of Ireland. It's something similar what, from what you're saying now, like the Route 66 that you did, where you can pop on and pop <clears> off. You just you can do a bit here and a bit there or as much as you want. Absolutely. Um, in fact, we did the heart of it. So we went to the sort of middle section to County Clare. Some seven of the 26 counties in Ireland uh, are linked up by the Wild Atlantic Way. And it's funny because it does these sort of very long loops in and around peninsulas and island hopping by ferry and river hopping. It makes Ireland seem much bigger than it is because you spend you know it's a slow drive and ideally one would need probably at least two weeks to do most of the trip or if you wanted to start at point a and, and end up uh, at the southern gateway 
you can't really get lost because these road signs are absolutely everywhere. Over the years, I've visited most of the County Donegal with the famous Sleeve League, some of the highest cliffs in Europe, some of the most rugged landscape in, 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 in Europe, real sort of unspoiled, untamed countryside. I've also sort of done my way down to the Dingle Peninsula and the Rings of Kerry and Biera, which are very popular peninsulas um, for tourists to go to. So this time, in fact, I went to the sort of central part. Now, County Clare is home to, among other things, the Burren and the Cliffs of Moher, one of the top uh, attractions in uh, in Ireland, which draws over a million tourists every year. And so that's that's where we, we, we started out on the particular Doolin, trip. you started. Yes, in Doolin, the village of Doolin. The thing about Ireland, and I'm sure it's a big part of this wild Atlantic way, is the music. Yes. Because Irish music, I mean, you can't get away from it, and it's beautiful. Well, well Doolin is known as the kind of soul of, uh, of uh, traditional Irish music. People actually go there. Every, they, they reckon they have live music 365 days a year. You might walk into a pub um, like uh, Fitzpatrick's at uh, the Doolin Hotel, uh, as I did on a Monday night, and there was a classical French harp player sitting and playing the most beautiful harp in a pub to about 10 people for free. All of this music is just free. And people go there to sit in on what they call sessions. Um, and a session traditionally would be an impromptu group of, of musicians who come in playing all of the traditional, you know, Irish, the elbow pumped uh, bagpipes, oh the goodness, Irish okay. bagpipes, mm. flutes, uh, you know, uh, banjos, accordions. And playing all of these traditional reels and jigs and and uh, it really is it makes it very special and Doolin is really the kind of heart of it. it's a very traditional old stone village set on the wild west coast it's the gateway to the Aran Islands and it's also at the heart of one of 64 geoparks geological parks that have been declared throughout Europe and it's much like UNESCO World Heritage Site it's renowned for um, its geology. In fact, it has this very unique cast limestone geology, the Burren. And the Burren is literally this sort of honeycomb of, they call them drowned rivers, of underground rivers and caves formed hundreds of thousands of years ago at the, at the, at the end of the Ice Age. In fact, I suppose millions of years ago. A lot of the attractions are to, to, to walk the Burren, which literally means the, the, the stony landscape or the stony place. And they have thousands of kilometers of dry stone walls. There's a lot of sheep and cattle farming there, a lot of very traditional farming activity. And the cliffs literally, um, you know, the, the, these enormous high cliffs of Moa that, that literally fall into the sea and this yeah. ragged coastline. They've got something that rivals the Kango Caves there as well, I believe, the underground they caves. Mm. Fact, that was our first stop, and it's typical. They say there are 190 discovery points on the Wild Atlantic Way, which means sort of key tourist attractions along the way. And on top of that, there are 15 signature points, all of which are signboarded and will have a complete sort of history of that particular attraction. Now, the, the Doolin Cave is one of those, and it's famous for one of the longest hanging, free-hanging free uh, stalactites in the world. It's part of a 50-mile honeycomb of caves under the Burren, and it was discovered by English potholers in 1952. That's John quite and Helen Brown, yes. And, and in fact, the farmers who own it, uh, John and Helen Brown, have created this sort of tunnel, a staircase, 25 metres down into the rock, followed by a sort of very narrow tunnel. They explain they've got a, they've got, they've built in, literally sort of bunkered into the hillside so that it fits organically and very naturally into the landscape, a discovery centre which explains these limestone geological formations. And the owners had recently visited our Kango mm. Caves, so that was quite something. 
Um, I'm very claustrophobic, because you know. So yes. in fact, I couldn't go down into this. The the tunnel connecting from the staircase apparently um, is it's a little intimidating. So I went on a farmland trail. I was going to ask you about have, that because they've got all these sort of ancient, almost prehistoric type animals they on do, this they thing. They have these uh, cows and sheep, like soy sheep and dexter and more, which apparently go back to both the, the, the Jacob sheep goes back to the Bible. And some of the cattle have been kept by the Celts there since the Bronze Age. Wow. So there are very peculiar mm. looking, you know, brown and black and white sheep and uh, so that's an alternative, but the the certainly the the the, the cave is is very accessible and is a very popular stop along the Wild Atlantic Way and the Burren. Now, a little bit earlier, you mentioned the Cliffs of Moher. What exactly is that? What is it like at that at the Cliffs well, of Moher? Well, there are these very dramatic cliffs that rise out out of the Atlantic, where they rise up to about two hundred and ten or fifteen meters above the sea. There's a cliff face walk that you can walk sort of right along the the side of these crumbling uh, cliffs for eight kilometers in fact along the Atlantic coast. One of the main viewing platforms is called O'Brien's Castle. Now the O'Briens were the traditional sort of landlords and rulers of County Clare. In fact they say that the O'Briens built everything in the county except for the cliffs <laughs> but just, just to make sure they also built a viewing tower. Mm. And in their, in their uh, part of their legacy is that they never wanted people to have to pay for these cliffs that they happened to be on their property. So although you have to pay, you know, to go into the Discovery Centre and that, the, the, the Cliffs of Moher is a sort of free attraction. Isn't this the place um, where they surf? They do. There's a place called the Cliff of the Folds. And uh, we saw these determined surfers. Apparently people come from all over, from Hawaii even, wow, to, okay. to to surf these these waves that can reach 60 feet sure. and crash onto these cliffs. And occasionally they have to use a helicopter to, to rescue one of these surfers. And there they were <laughs> heading down, you know, this very narrow path down to the beach um, to, 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 to go surfing. Gosh, now, um, cliffs, it's a high. Um do you walk up or down it? Well, you must have climbed this thing. You you can you can either walk up or down depending. Um, so did you? We uh, absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. One of the farmers apparently two or three years ago called Pat Sweeney, who's you know like everyone else around there goes back about five generations, negotiated with about I think thirty or forty farmers in the area to open a, a, a sort of right of way on the cliff face and to take one on a walk from the cliffs down to past his farm, in fact, um, to the to the village of Doolin. And it's, uh, I think, an eight-kilometre walk, and it, would, it sort of takes perhaps two or three hours. And it's quite easily doable. You don't have to be a mountain goat um, to, to, to do it. But it offers incredible views. And um, uh, Pat does, apparently, after he's done his sort of got up at the crack of dawn to do his farming, he then comes and walks a group of people, often who are staying at his uh, bed and breakfast on his farm, which I think would be a great way to see Doolin, and a farm called Dunagor, Dunagor Bed and Breakfast. And he walks a group up after doing the, the farming in the morning. And then he walks another group down, a small group of, of hikers, which I think he, he charges, you know, perhaps 50 or 60 rand, I forget, or in euros, of course. And he points out all the bird life and the geological formations and the sea stacks. And one of the highlights for me was seeing a colony of puffins. Mm. They call them the, the, the clowns of the, of the sea. And I mean, they, they just look, they're the most incredible looking, you know, very bright orange and yellow beaks. Those are the males, and, if, I'm, yes. if I'm correct. Yeah, and they've got beautiful mm. eyes. They're, I mean, they, they really look like they've come out of a Gilbert and Sullivan Mikado um, <laughs> play. Um, you know, they're very Asian looking mm. and they're very curious. Um, and so to see these and also many 
many of the, the peregrine falcons, the uh, guillemots, and huge colonies of choffs, a rare species of Celtic crow, who were also on the cliff face. So as well as we were there during spring, so all the wildflowers were out, the sea pinks, the primroses, and apparently it's a very alpine-like um, mm. terrain. Uh, in, in Ireland, so you literally get these alpine um, wildflowers. Now, Doolan is the gateway to the Aran Islands, if that's... Yes, it is, is. that's right, right. yes. And uh, the Aran Islands are the, the sort of the real heart of Celtic history and culture that have been settled um, since the uh, the Bronze Age. And we went, we visited Doolan uh, Ferries, uh, one of the gateways to the three Aran Islands, and you can visit all three, of all of which have ancient um, Celtic churches and 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 Iron Age forts uh, like Dun Angus. We visited Innismore, the, the biggest of the three rocky islands, and we went on a tour. And we, in fact, we went out in a Galway fishing boat uh, called the Happy Hooker. I was wondering what our activity for the day the was what? going to the be. The Happy Hooker. The Happy Hooker. But apparently, Should I ask? a hooker is a is an old wooden sailboat oh, um, right. traditionally okay. that sails Much, out of yeah. Galway. Not what I was thinking, but okay, fine. So we did a tour with Oliver Flaherty, one of the old islanders. And this is really the spiritual heartland of Celtic culture. And in fact, by the ninth century, the Aran Islands were known as one of the holiest places in the world next to um, Jerusalem um, and Rome and Constantinople. And they're littered with the ruins of ancient temples and churches and the burial places of many Irish saints. So it's a lot like Iona, the island of Iona is in Scotland. And am amazingly, the islanders have built... Um, something like 15,000 kilometres. And there are, there are only about 850 of these <laughs> islanders left on the islands of dry stone walls. Why? Which, and they use, because they need to protect their, their sheep oh, and I their see. potato okay. fields from this wild Atlantic way weather. So we were just so lucky to have great weather while we were there. And they fertilise these stony fields. And they minute some of these little paddocks, which they have their horses and and, and sheep and cattle in um, with with uh, with seaweed and with kelp. Oh, okay. Um, so um, it's amazing. It's like a labyrinth. These islands are a labyrinth and, and all part of this unique uh, Burren geology and geopark. Were you um, just there for the day, or we would we did a day trip there? But I went spent a week on the islands. Oh. It's really one of my favourite places in the world, and I would say to anyone going to Ireland. Do not miss the uh, the Aran Islands, the Great Bronze Age fort of Dun Angus, uh, a three thousand year old dry stone fort which is built on the very cliff face. And the amazing thing is that there's no protective barriers. And when I asked the um, our guide, a man called Bartley Beatty from the Public Works, I s said, "Do you ever sort of lose tourists over the edge?" And he said, oh, "I'm forever telling people to stand clear of the the walls. And these these cliffs just drop hundreds there's of meters no barrier into the sea, there. and the people lying." down with their head over staring down into the abyss and there's absolutely no barrier and he said you know if we did put up a fence he said it would just encourage people to climb over this is a very irish point of view on this um and uh, he said you know you make your own luck in life he said this as someone sort of almost tumbled down the precipice doing a selfie picture and hadn't realized and someone else said oh, just back another just a just a little more just a little more and one of the tourists oh disappeared from sight so incredibly there is no barrier and one of the highlights was coming across Vincent who was a, is an old basket weaver he was weaving these beautiful St Bridget's crosses who was one of the sort of first if not the first woman saint in in Ireland um, he was an early feminist saint in fact and uh, so I bought this cross from him and I said are you are you an islander and he said no no he said in fact I'm not even a local I've only been here for 40 years 
So she said, you know, around here, they only consider you a local when you're dead and buried and pushing up the daisies. So um, it was very, very amusing. And one of the highlights also was going to one of the old pubs on uh, Innismore Island called uh, T. Joe Watties. It's a landmark pub run by Paddy and Grace Flaherty and uh, to enjoy a wonderful pile of steamed crab claws. Mm, mm. They're also famous for their Atlantic lobster and mussels and fish and use these traditional mm. kuraks, a, uh, a kind of a canvas and, and tar canoe, literally, that they go out fishing. Um, and, I mean, next stop is, is New York. You're really on this wild Atlantic Don't they say they can looking. see New York from there or something? Oh, there's another point that they claim on a oh, right. day. But I think, again, you must have drank an awful lot of yeah. Irish whiskey to imagine you could see New York. Now, I just want to know what your wife thought about you popping off to the matchmaker's village. Well, one of our uh, the journalists in our group was was single, and we needed to try oh, and sort it was just her to out. Help her out. Oh, okay. yes. So now, tell the, me about this. What is this matchmaker's village? It's called Listoon Varna, and it's in the Burren, in, in in the heart. There, in fact, they have a matchmaker's festival every year, and there's a matchmaker's bar, and apparently it draws thousands of hopefuls every every year um, to this old Victorian spa town. Willie Daly, who's the, apparently the best known and the most successful of the Irish matchmakers, has a huge poster outside the bar which proclaims, some marriages are made in heaven, but the best ones are made in Listoon Varna. Um, and, uh, and if you're not there to meet your match or your mate, um, you can also go to the Burren Smokehouse. It's world-renowned for the quality of its smoked salmon. And we did a tasting there with the uh, one at the co-owner, Begita, who said... A gift of their smoked salmon was apparently presented to Barack Obama in a St. Patrick's Day hamper of oh. food from Ireland this year. Um, and the Queen also ate their salmon at a banquet, Dublin Castle, on a recent visit to Ireland. So, in fact, what's really interesting is that the salmon is regarded as the fish of knowledge, according to Irish Celtic legend. Now, we spoke about the music before, but you went to something called Music Makers of Western Clare. We did. What was that? Um, in fact, well, one of the one of the goals of the of the Wild Atlantic Way is to keep and, and nurture Irish culture and tradition. And in Milltown, Mulbay is known as the, the home of the sort of study of, of Irish music for over forty years. And every year, year, anyone who's interested, in fact, can go over and register for the Willie Clancy Summer School, when thousands of people come from all over the world, as far as Russia, to take um, lessons in uh, concertinas. Uh, banjo, fiddle, accordion, harp, uh, flutes. The tutors or the mentors at this school are people from old Irish bands like the, the, the Chieftains, real sort of gurus of Irish music, the river dance. You can do dancing sessions and learn how to do a clear set, a jig, a polka, a tap dancing, or a battering dance, which I never did find out, but it's certainly my standard technique is to, is to batter the feet of everyone who's standing close to me when I'm on the dance floor. But you can study the pipes, the whistle, and it's great. In fact, we looked at the second oldest concertina in the world while we were there that is at this, the Music Makers of Western Clare, um, which is a sort of museum and shrine to Irish music in Milltown, Mulbay. Now, how far have we got now down this Wild Atlantic Way? We started in Doolin, and where are we now at this point? I'm on my way to uh, the Loophead Peninsula, the newer and lesser known attractions on the Wild Atlantic Way, and then through to Limerick in the heart of the Wild Atlantic Way. Now, I'm almost way. sure, knowing whenever you do come in here, there's always like a whole lot more we haven't got to yet. 
and it's going to be quite a lot more than where we are now. So are we kind of like halfway at this point? We are. We would be about so halfway. So should we maybe stop here and then could you come back and continue with the rest of the journey? That would be fabulous, Carl. Okay. Well, there's let's just so much to see. Oh, it always is with you. So let's do that. So we're pretty much halfway and we'll just have to wait to another week or so and we'll find out where it is you went after that. Keep everyone in suspense. Yeah, absolutely. But Graham, once again, thanks so much for joining us this evening. Thanks, Karen. I was chatting there with Graham Howe. He visited the Wild Atlantic Way as a guest of Tourism Island. And for more information, you can call Tourism Island in Johannesburg on 011-463-1132. The website is island.com or wildatlanticway.com. And there's even burren.ie, and that's B-U-R-R-E-N.ie, burren.ie. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. If you've missed any information, you can find it on Facebook, Travel on SAFM, or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And don't forget, if you're wanting a copy of all those rules and regulations as far as the unabridged birth certificates and traveling with children is concerned, drop me a mail. I'll send all of that to you. I'll be back with you again on Monday evening with The Law Report, and it's Michael Bagram on Monday, and we'll be talking labor law, so join me then. But it's time now for Stephen Kirker and some nighttime music, and I'm assuming, Stephen, you're as green with envy as I am. I'm totally green with envy about Ireland. Always want to go there. Want to sail around there. Also want to go on that a super cool beer tour in Cape Town so I'll come and lodge at your house when I'm finished You're very with welcome <laughs> thanks Corin catch you on uh, Monday it is nighttime music through till midnight a very good evening for myself but first news